It's the TEH podcast, episode number 189. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. You know, 189, I was thinking about that earlier. Um, we got to think of something for 200. A special, special like, episode. Some kind of a special episode, yes. Yeah, we'll so get to it sure. live on Netflix. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to do it live on YouTube like we did. I think, what was it, one, the 100 episode? Yeah. No, I don't know if you know. So there was like a, a kind of a tech story this week is Netflix tried to do a live thing on Sunday. Oh, did night, they? I didn't know that. And it was a no, big no. failure. <laughs> Whoops. So we could we could probably do better. We I'll, could do better I'll, than I'll Netflix. I'll make some calls. I'll make some calls. <laughs> That'll be the title of that episode. Better than yeah. Netflix. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah. do you know what was their problem? Do you know? Did the, was there any I don't, I don't know if it's revealed what their problem was. I don't know if they're ever going to tell us, but there was supposed to be some big live event reunion show for a reality TV show that they had aired. And it just, never, just didn't happen. Oh, it's yeah, like yeah. I saw, some, and, I saw some yeah. headlines about that. And I said, oh, it's a reality show. I have no idea what's it about, what it's about. I don't care. Yeah, but as it <laughs> turns out, it ended up being a tech story because it just didn't. Yes. It never got broadcast live or it did to a small number of people or, you know, and basically the idea is all these other networks uh, have been doing live stuff for a long time. Sure. Um, and some of some of the stuff like Peacock does live, has live constantly. There's a bunch of live stuff going on. Right. 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 Uh, so here's Netflix, the, you know, the, the, you know, original big streaming network. And they're like, we could do live too. Eh, no, we can't. <laughs> Whoopsie. Yeah. Well, I got to say, we came close to not being able to do whatever this is today. Um, mm. So here's here's the story, so to speak. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week, I don't know, time's a blur. I reached <laughs> out to my ISP, uh, which is Comcast, by the way. Um, I'm on a Comcast business connection. So it's not, you know, the Xfinity consumer level stuff. It's actually mm -hmm. uh, a small business. And I said, you know what? You know, where am I in my contract and what's it going to take if I want some more speed and, you know, figure it all out. Anyway, long story short, we said, sure, um, we can hook you up with uh, more speed. I think I'm going to be tripling my speed. Won't be gigabit, but it'll still be, it'll be better. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, as part of that, unfortunately, uh, apparently the, the router that they've given me uh, will not handle the faster speed. So they've got an install schedule for next week. Okay, that's fine. That's all cool. Um, and it turns out, even though I thought otherwise, this is all completely unrelated to what happened to me this morning, because all of a sudden I was working along and the internet was gone. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Not just just a little bit gone, but gone, gone. And you know, the first thing you do is okay, fine. Is it is it just this machine? Nope, it's it's the other machine as well. Well, is it is it just wired or wire? Everything, everything was disconnected um so okay great it happens occasionally but comcast is actually usually really good about getting the the connection back up so i wait a little while nothing happens i fine okay fine. I'll, I'll on my mobile which is you know connected up to the mobile carrier so i've actually got some connectivity um i reach out to comcast and as i'm having a chat a a, a text chat with a customer service representative i get a phone call from Comcast. Hmm. And it was, I thought, oh, great. They noticed and they're telling me what's going on, which they've done in the past. Hmm. Nope. It was the guy for next week just confirming the appointment. I said, well, you know, I've also got this chat going on here. I've got a problem with my internet connectivity. He said, oh, let me connect you up to, to customer service here. So for a little while, I was chatting textually and on voice. And I finally said, okay, fine. Enough is enough. One, I only need one support customer mm. or support rep, not two. Mm. Um, so I dropped the chat and went ahead and chatted with the person and they you just talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> you guys figure it out on your own. I'm going to get something to eat. Well, well, no, unfortunately my, my involvement was in fact required because ah. so in my house, my, my networking equipment is all in my basement. So, mm -hmm. so far I was just, you know, doing all this stuff from my room and, you know, I've seen it enough times. It just looks like a, a bad internet connection. It happens. And so they say, okay, fine. Well, we will remote reset your router. And, um, you know, why don't you, if you get a chance, you know, go have a look at the lights. Just make sure that the, the correct lights are blinking, right? I went down to my basement and no lights were blinking. In fact, mm -hmm. not only were no lights blinking on my router, 
No lights were blinking on my switch. No light were blinking on any of my networking equipment. In fact, everything was connected um, in that mode. I've got a basically an area where I've got all these wires coming from throughout the house. It was dead, dead, dead. The whole thing was dead. The reason I didn't have internet is because none of that equipment had power. What? So it wasn't Comcast at all. Uh, it was me. And what had turned out had happened, and I have not had this happen before. I have all this networking equipment connected up to an uninterruptible power supply, a UPS. Mm. And the UPS turned into an off switch. Oh. Suddenly, without warning, and um, without any notification whatsoever, it just said, nope, I'm done. And so are you. <laughs> so um, I unplugged fortunately it was like a, a it's the classic case where you know the the ups is plugged into the wall and what i have plugged into the ups is a power strip a single power strip yeah so i unplugged the power strip and plugged it into the wall and sure enough all the equipment started coming back up great um we'll figure out the ups another time hmm. i waited and then i waited you know because it takes a while for things to get resynced and re reprovisioned and all that kind of stuff wasn't working still wasn't working well, my router, uh, I have it configured to act in uh, pass-through. So it the, the, the Comcast-provided equipment actually doesn't do anything other than convert cable signals into Ethernet signals. Um, it, it has the ability to be a modem, or I'm sorry, it has the ability to be a router, um, you know, and it has its own Wi-Fi hotspot and so forth. But a couple sure. of years ago, I replaced all that with um, ubiquity networking equipment. Mm. So it's the Comcast equipment is just a pass through. And now I've got this nice mesh network throughout my home works great when it works. Um, but it wasn't working. I rebooted it again and it wasn't working. And then we rebooted it again and it wasn't working. And then I said, okay, fine, fine. Time for a big hammer. Um, I took the one piece of equipment that seemed to be the, you know, the most at fault, if you will, and uh, did a factory reset on it, which I was concerned would end up losing some of my um, um, settings or configuration or whatever. And then, uh, you know, after a while, sure enough, I got internet back. Yay. All of a sudden mm. things were working. So I started poking around and the configuration still wasn't working quite the way I expected to. The reporting utility wasn't reporting properly on that particular piece of equipment. And then it said, you know, I, I looked into it and I said, well, you know, um, you should check for updates on the software. Well, the, up, the software was way out of date. Um, hmm. So, um, okay, fine. We'll update the software. Doing all this right in a couple of hours before I'm supposed to record a podcast live with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, fine. The update comes in, it starts doing things. And then like literally 15 minutes ago, everything stops working. <laughs> I, mean, I was, I was yay shy of texting you saying, you know what, maybe this wasn't meant to be. Um, but as it turns out, um, it has reestablished itself. It is trying real hard. There are still some things that are in the final stages of uh, configuring but they seem to be letting the internet work. Anyway, long story short is it's been an interesting morning at Ask Leo headquarters where, you know, the internet has been going up and going down and it all started because of an uninterruptible power supply that interrupted. Uh, interesting. Which, like I said, I've, I've had them die, the batteries wear out, but they mm. usually warn you, right? You get some kind of a notification to say, hey, the battery needs replacing. Um, they don't just cut your power to get your attention. Um, but that's exactly what seemed to have happened here. Now, I don't know what I'm going to do with that UPS. I may, uh, I'm going to, you know, I, I actually don't know if it's simply the battery got too dead and it never was able to notify me. Right. Or um, or if the UPS itself is dying, I'm going to uh, uh, price compare at least uh, battery replacement versus device replacement. But I'm seriously tempted to, uh, to do the device replacement thing just to be on the safe side. Um, it's nice to have the UPS on the networking equipment because since so many of our devices are battery powered, when we lose power, um, that then keeps my telephone, my landline, which I still have, um, although it's a landline through cable, so it's not technically the old style copper wires anymore. 
Um, but it keeps that in my internet up and running um, if I lose power to the house for some reason, so that my wireless devices, uh, you know, the laptops and the phones and so forth can all still work. Hmm. Don't don't have that protection right now. But. Yeah. So, I mean, boy, so a lot resonates here because, well, first of all, let's go to your um, your UPS. Mm -hmm. uh, I had that happen to me with the UPS once as well. It was the the one I had not for my internet equipment, but the one at my desk. So my Mac was plugged into it, you know, like one screen, you know, the basic stuff. Sure. You know? Yep. Yep. And uh, one day it acted like there was a power outage, except there was no power outage. The UPS just turned off. That was it. It was done. <laughs> it was yep. like, I'm done. And I'm like, you have one job. <laughs> exactly. One job. <laughs> and you just did the opposite of that one job. Yep. Uh, so, and I was just dumbfounded. I was like, I tried everything. I mean, you know, it wasn't new, you know. So I was like, okay. And it got to the point where I was like, I don't, and it was like, okay, if the battery fails, it's supposed to behave in a certain way. It's not right. behaving in that way. Right. It just was like, I'm done. So I could buy a new battery for it. And if I did, it may have worked. But the thing is, I didn't, I didn't trust it anymore. Exactly. Yep. So it yep. ended up being like, instead of spending, you know, some amount on a battery, I spent a little bit more than that amount on a new UPS. Right. Uh, instead, just to replace it. Not really very confident about the new UPS. I basically, <laughs> I think there's three companies that make almost all the UPS devices. There's probably one company with three labels, but maybe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's what a APC trip yep, yep. and one, and there's one other power power. So anyway, there's three. If you look at Amazon, there's three right. <laughs> big ones. And I have switch. I think I'm probably on, you know, we're talking like 20 years worth. Oh, yeah. I probably used, yep. I've probably gone through, cycled through all of them. Cause when that happened, I basically bought, whichever one I hadn't bought the most recent time. Cause it's like, I'm not buying the same brand. So I'm going to go buy this brand, but I didn't, I, I don't have this brand because I replaced it with another brand a long time ago. So, you know, you just go through cycling right. through and hope that maybe the companies have gotten smarter, but yeah, that was frustrating. It's like, we have one job. Um, I, uh, I have had, you know, the scary thing of doing the factory reset on the equipment. And that's my, my current system is a Google Nest system, not the Google Wi-Fi Pro, but the previous one, which I believe technically is called like Nest second generation or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, one time I had a problem and I could not fix it. After two hours of trying to work, I did a factory reset and it worked fine. And, you know, which made me kind of like, well, great. <laughs> I, you know, everything's back up and working, but right. you know, I don't feel good about the solution. Right. Um, it does did remind me, and, you know, it's kind of thing, like I'm sure you thought of this too, is like, oh, every once in a while, note exactly what all the settings are. Like go well, into the current interface and look at all the settings and just make a, just make a note for yourself. This is set to this, this is set to that. So if you do a factory reset, you can, you don't have to be like, oh no, what is this supposed to be? Oh, it's better here because the the ubiquity software that runs this thing, um, which I was updating, in the update path it says, "Okay, are did you?" It actually has the option to export all your settings, mm. which is awesome if you do it. And yes. <laughs> um, um, I, you know, when you do the update, it says, "Hey, have you got a backup?" And I said, "No," so it exited. So I fired up the old version to try and create a backup, and of course, that had stopped working. So I basically ended up lying and say, yeah, I got a backup. It's probably about a year and a half old, but it's a, there's a backup somewhere. Um, and yeah, it's it's nice to be able to export that. But that's exactly what I was worried about with the factory reset was losing a bunch of the settings that I had. Um, and it's not like you you configure everything correctly at the very beginning and you're done. Yeah. So many of these settings are, you know, a couple of weeks later, you say, well, you know, I should tweak that or I should change that or I should set up this or whatever. Um, so it's not like there's like one experience you go through that you just go through again. No, it's an accumulation of knowledge. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, looking, so, but you, yeah. UPS is one, one last thing. You mentioned the three manufacturers. Um, yes, I have APCs. All of mine right now are APCs. I have three UPSs. Well, I now have two UPSs. <laughs> um, 
the the one sitting here by my desk right which is keeping uh protecting my my desktop and my monitor just like you uh, were describing i've got another one on my um what i call my nas i think i talked about it i've got two machines in the basement that are running and those are also on a ups just because it's so annoying when the power flickers and all of a sudden you know something stops working or it reboots or whatever so i protect it with that uh, but this one was dedicated to doing the one that's no longer working was dedicated to doing the networking equipment i may very well um uh look at like trip light just because it's a brand that I've, I know it has a good reputation um, just for something different to see how it goes. Um, but uh, I will say this, that the UPSs that I've had, um, the one by my desk, I think has been sitting here for two years. The one in the basement's probably been sitting here longer. Yes, they've had only one job to do. And for the past two, three years, they've been doing it. Um, because I have gone through you know, power glitches, power surges, power outages, and they've done the right thing. So it's not like they haven't been working this entire time. It's just that I wish, I wish that when they decided it was time to quit and retire, that they would have given me a little bit more notice. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I um, So when I moved into my new place, mm -hmm. uh, I kept this Google Nest system. And it's interesting, you know, you mentioned that you have Ubiquity Yes. Uh, system. So I looked up, uh, I'm looking up, you know, what they've got. Mm -hmm. Now, there was a device left in my new place that had, uh, it was a mysterious look, saucer looking device. Oh. And I figured right. some sort of networking, a piece of a networking equipment. Sounds like one nothing of my that would, yes. Yeah. So I actually just pulled it out of the closet. And guess what it is? It's a ubiquity. <laughs> uh, kind of i guess it's their wave two antenna system i don't know it's it's so it's an antenna i guess um that would normally just be hooked up uh, um yeah it's it's, it's the moral equivalent of an access point um it's a little smarter than that you've probably got an ethernet connection that can go into it um it if it's the one that we're using um mm -hmm. it actually gets its it's it's poe power over ethernet so yeah. it's getting the power from that connection as well. Yeah. It, it like doesn't it necessarily um, need to have an internet connection or a network connection on that ethernet cable. It will also act as a mesh um, access point. Really? So it'll act, it'll okay. reach out to other access points um, in the same family and try and uh, hook up to them. Yep. Well, so it's funny. So when I moved in, I saw this thing hooked up to uh, ethernet cables that were running through the place. Right. And I said, that's some ancient piece of <laughs> piece of hardware. And these Ethernet cables, and I ripped them all out and replaced them with my uh, Google Nest um, mm -hmm. base station and mm -hmm. two points. Uh, because those two things covered a much larger house previously. Right. Uh, so I thought, no problem. Those will handle this without an issue. Uh, turns out issues. <laughs> these walls, I guess, uh, concrete and steel. And, um, oh, you're living in a Faraday cage. Congratulations. Uh, uh, yeah. So I'm now, I'm now up to, uh, the base station and four uh -huh. different nest like points, uh, -huh. uh, five is the maximum. Um, and I've tried to set them up as best I could. Some of them are ridiculously close to each other, <laughs> but still needed, uh, because of just the, just these walls. So now I'm starting to like, think, uh, yeah, the, the, oh, that what looked like some sort of like crazy system they had before to get Wi-Fi throughout this place. Um, probably was, there was a good reason for it. <laughs> yeah. I went through that same incremental discovery of, you know, is this enough? Is this enough? Mm. Is this enough? Oh. So yes, I have, um, six access points distributed throughout my house to get the coverage that six, I want. Yeah. I may, I mean, I would, I don't know where I'd put another one as it is. I had a, uh, I had when I had three, including the base station. So four total, I had them set up in a line of sight configuration. Mm -hmm. So one in a room, another, the other side of the room, then pointed down the hall, another down that hall where it could see the other one and mm -hmm. another down another hall where it could see, you know, so each one was in line of sight with another and that seemed to be okay. But then there was one point that I couldn't get to. So I added another one, which now I think might be confusing it because that one is not in line of sight with its closest node. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's like, there's one that's close to it that's 
is through a wall and one further away from it that has line of sight. Anyway, it's very confusing. And I, I'm not, I don't know. I, I may ask you about which uh, which ubiquity stuff you've got. One of these days, yeah. I, I, I'm going to have to either try the Google Wi-Fi Pro system or go with something like ubiquity or Eero right. or just try I, another one. I will tell you that um, ubiquity is not targeted at the home. I mean, they yeah. do have some home stuff, but that's not what I'm using. Um, this equipment is the stuff where the, they will um, deploy in uh, stadiums um, and yeah. th that kind of scenario. So they're actually, you know, they're set up to manage, you know, not half a dozen access points, but a few hundred access points um, and the software to manage it all and control it all and, you know, monitor the traffic on it all and so forth. Yeah, I mean, you know, just most of that stuff we don't need. It's cool, but we don't need it. It's just to me getting... Um, you know, getting the coverage I want in the house here was was pretty important to me. I finally decided, I mean, this stuff isn't necessarily cheap either, mm -hmm. but I finally decided that, you know, this is my business. I need to right. invest it. I need to make it work. So exactly, exactly. The fact that Netflix then starts working great in the family room is kind of a bonus. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, my, so my new internet, because I've had, um, I've never had Comcast. Uh, even though that's available in my area, I've for from 1997 to 2023, I had CenturyLink, or actually, boy, it wasn't even CenturyLink when I started. I guess it would have been like something else, and then eventually became Quest, and eventually became CenturyLink. Anyway, so I had DSL through many different locations, and then when I moved here, I could have actually continued with that, mm -hmm. but instead, I was excited to find out that I had Google Fiber, their what's known as their Web Pass. Mm -hmm. um, thing. And I thought, okay, great. First of all, I get away from the antiquated big phone company, cable company systems. Right. We talked um, about that a couple of weeks ago, right? That you're, you you yeah. do not really have a landline or whatever it is. No yes. landline. Yeah. And no, you know, none of the weird contract stuff. I mean, Google treats it like the, a modern thing. It's just here it is per month. Cancel any time. You know, it's just simple, easy, right? Uh, no, no big contracts. It's, they say it's $70 a month and my bill has been $70 and zero cents a month, which is refreshing when you've had so many decades of like, I don't know what it costs. It's like a page of like things. Some of them are five cents. Some of them are $6. And then it adds up to something at the bottom and it's slightly different every month, you know? So it's refreshing to see $70 and zero cents every month, but it's also gigabit. Uh, but I suspect I haven't looked into it, but I suspect by gigabit, what they mean is you get a gigabit up and down divided between them with a huge emphasis on the download. So when I try to, if I put a, a, a computer right near the main node, mm -hmm. so I'm getting you know maximum throughput. Uh, I haven't tried hooking ethernet up to anything, but if I do it, I will get huge amounts, hundreds and hundreds uh, download. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes seven, eight, nine hundred, you know, megabits download, mm -hmm. but uploads always a fraction of that. Right. It's a good fraction. I mean, when I could sit over there and see 125 megabits upload, I'm like, well, that's that's fine. You know, for yep. my one big upload, I, I don't need a gigabit upload, but it is interesting that it's not even. Um, the other thing is, is that, of course, stretching that to the other side of the home through all the Google Nest nodes right by the time i get to where i really want it which is my office <laughs> i'm averaging about 50 megabits download and maybe 10 to 20 upload Ooh. no matter how well i try to configure and do everything line of sight and all of that uh, it's enough to make me want to just take the long ethernet cord that i do have yep and just, just that's exactly what i was thinking it it's, it's through time the for, home it's time that, for wire that gets vetoed uh, <laughs> Uh, the problem is that same wall, the same the same problem that's causing that, which is the thick concrete and steel walls, right, is also preventing me from actually running any good Ethernet through said brick and concrete walls. Yes, yeah. So and there's, it, and there's not like an opportunity to run it through ceilings or anything like no, that. Or... I am top floor, which means uh, I've got the benefit of having nobody above me, and also the benefit of probably having like a foot and a half of concrete right above me. Um, I mean, sure? it really is. It I mean, really are you sure is. that there's not like some, some there is crawl there space are, up there or there are some, I mean, there are lights in the ceiling. 
Yeah. And they have to go into something. Yeah. But boy, when I've tried to go somewhere else, like uh -huh. to say install like a smoke detector in a place that I want, uh -huh. it's solid. Bummer. So I'm not sure like how I would figure it out. It, maybe it's the kind of thing like if I would ever meet the right person, like somebody who's like a cable whisperer, that's like, <laughs> oh, I know, I know how to get, I know how to get cable through all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, when they were like, yeah, I'm not cheap, but boy, let me come in and spend the day and I'll get an Ethernet port in one side of your home and, and in the other side of home and they'll connect. And I'd be like, great, I'll, I'll, I'll write the check. Yes. You go and do it. Because like, I don't have the, it's not that I don't have the ability to drill holes. <laughs> I don't have the ability to fix the holes once I exactly. drill them. <laughs> you so know, it's not in any satisfactory way. You know, it's like, oh, why are there pictures in weird places in your home? Well, don't, just don't look behind the pictures. Yeah. I don't know if I told you. So this house that we're in, mm -hmm. um, it is, gosh, 85, so it's what, 28 years old. Um, and it was not in any way, shape, or form, you know, internet ready because yeah. there was no internet back in 1985, um, or at least not, not to the same we think of it now. Uh, so, gosh, a few years after uh, we moved in here, I actually had an electrical company uh, pull Ethernet cable, mm -hmm. uh, Cat6, Cat5e, a couple of coaxes, which we ended up not using, all that kind of stuff. Um, they had done the original house had, in fact, coax, cheap coax for distributing a TV signal, but that was it. And of course, it was done the um, the worst possible way to get you um, the worst possible signal at the end of a very long run of taps. Mm. Um, so anyway, we you know we had so basically, I'm I'm. I'm blessed in the sense that it's really easy for me to have lots and lots of wired connections to devices. So my desktop, for example, I've got a one gigabit connection to the uh, um, to the switch down in my basement. Uh, but even the hotspots that I was telling you about, even though they are mesh, they do mesh with one another and it all looks like one network, um, most of them are themselves connected via wires to the switch in the basement so that they're actually getting the signal, the internet signal or networking signal from there and not over the air. Um, that I think yeah. maximizes things like throughput and so forth as well. Um, I've got a couple that are just, you know, yep, they've got power and they're sitting somewhere. Uh, they're not connected to a network at all. In fact, one of them's outside. Uh, we have a kind of a, a patio slash gazebo type thing. And I just mounted one in there so we've got Wi-Fi coverage out there, but it's a it's a mesh. It's a it's a it's a skip from one of the other um, uh, access points to this one that's sitting outside. So yeah, I'm I'm blessed with with lots and lots of cable, um, and I I still, given the opportunity, given the given my druthers, um, it's Ethernet cable all the way, every time. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. I wish I could do it, and and I don't know, one hopefully I'll have an opportunity at some point <laughs> to to figure it out. I mean, there's because I yeah, if it could just run the Ethernet cable by the electric that's obviously hooked up to the lights, mm -hmm. it, it should be possible. It's just that's opening up a lot of walls, a lot of ceilings, and repairing them when it's done. One of the things I will never build my own house, but one of the things I um, have commented on multiple times is that if I ever did, uh, I would put in conduit. Yeah. So just for that kind of thing, just make sure that, um, you know, every, every place there's an outlet or every place there's a phone jack or every place there's something in the wall that it's not permanently that kind of cable. There's a, there's a, a tube mm -hmm. that goes into some crawl space or some basement or some wherever that you can pull whatever the cable du jour for 20 years from now will be. Right. right. Um, right. But unfortunately, not going to happen. Now, back to the original subject of internet going out. Yes. Uh, I have had that happen now. After a month of having Google Fiber, we did have one afternoon, uh, suddenly the internet went out, um, which it sucked because, you know, everything being new and me putting things together myself, uh, I immediately w went to the default, which is, it's my fault. What did I break? Yes. What did I break? What did I do? <laughs> what did I not connect right? So it was an hour of trying to figure out what I had done wrong. 
And only after eliminating everything I could possibly eliminate, could I default to maybe the internet's just out. Um, <laughs> you know, which reminded me that, oh, I should get some way to, con you know, you know, current Macs don't, like MacBooks don't have an ethernet port and I have no use for them. So I don't have like an adapter or anything. You know, right. I should probably get some old computer or something knowing that I could just test uh, the direct connection. But anyway, after an hour uh, of fooling around with everything, I eventually came to the conclusion the internet was out. And then it came back on. Oh, it was when it came back on that, you know, it's like, well, I didn't, I didn't do anything in the last five minutes and now it's back. Well, okay. The internet was probably, I think was out. And then shortly after that, I got an email from, from a Google web pass saying, oh, sorry, there was an outage. I'm like, well, that, that doesn't help me now. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's nice to get the confirmation, but it doesn't help me. And then I continued to get um, the next day was kind of kind of wonky. It was like kind of like, yeah, it wasn't working that, you know, sometimes it seemed like there were many outages, like five and 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, again, is it my fault? Is it whatever? But everything's fine now. So don't worry about it. And actually, I just got a, I got a, a notice yesterday saying that later this week, there's going to be a middle of the middle of the night scheduled uh, maintenance. So maybe there's something they're going to fix. That would be nice. We did have uh, but, one of those also where they said that, hey, we're going to, there's going to be an outage. This They gave us like yeah. a couple of weeks notice, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Because uh, we're upgrading your equipment, which is fine. Well, that's uh, nice. But, but I, know. I, I don't, it, it did, you know, highlight the fact that now I, I don't have, I used to have direct TV before. Now, now I have, you know, YouTube TV. Right. I've suddenly I'm very Google. I've got YouTube TV. I got Google Maps. <laughs> I got WebPass. Whatever. But um, I've got a TV all through the internet. I've got our phone. It's now that VoIP. I've talked about it before. That's mm -hmm. all through the internet. Mm -hmm. um, so really, when the internet was down, I mean, it was very quiet. <laughs> it was a very quiet, except for me cursing. That was the basically the soundtrack of me cursing, trying to figure things out. Uh, besides that, was, uh, there wasn't really much. Now, we did, of course, have our phones, and right. we do have the advantage of living downtown where we are in like a deep 5G zone. So ah, we don't right. use it much, right. but I mean, I had five bars of 5G. And I'm if assuming... I had to, yeah, if I had to upload a video or whatever, or just say, well, forget the cost, I just need to be online right now to do right. this show, say. Right. I could have done it through my phone because, right. I mean, again, I'm high up. I'm in a, in a building and there are 5G towers everywhere. I, when I walk the dog, the dog pees on lots of 5G towers. <laughs> well, there's <laughs> your problem. <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. So you've got the opportunity to turn your phone into a hotspot. I do the yep. same thing when we're when we're that. Uh, you know, if if the outage is for whatever, it's going to be a little on the prolonged side. What's weird is that... Um, of course, that makes my laptops work because they're used to Wi-Fi. But mm. my desktop, of all things, actually has a uh, a Wi-Fi adapter that I normally have disabled. Mm, uh, I don't even yeah. have an antenna hooked up to it. But if I've got to get my desktop online, I can just put the phone somewhere near it and turn on Wi-Fi and off I go. So, mm. yeah, that's that's a handy, handy backup plan. Yep. All righty. Cool. Um, speaking of backup plans, so... You you've been on Twitter. You're not. I've heard of that. <laughs> no, you, you've I've got heard of it. You've got it Twitter used accounts, to be back in the day. Uh, I have I have dwindling Twitter accounts. I mean, I don't, I don't use Twitter much anymore for reasons we've talked about on the show. Yes. And I um, think all of my auto bots that did various things for me on Twitter. Right. I'm down to one. The others have slowly died after receiving emails saying oh that's right your You've api been, has been disabled yep. Just find yep. out about how to do it the right way here i have yeah. one last one that's at MacMost that posts all the new MacMost stuff and it's as of this morning is still working cool but i expect to get an email one day i uh, it's not working anymore i stopped posting on twitter both personally yeah. and professionally last year when you know things hit the fan but what's interesting now is that there are so many alternatives um, mm -hmm. the, the most recent one to come out, um, that some people claim is an alternative and some people claim, no, 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 it's something completely different is uh, Substack notes. Uh, Substack is an email publishing platform. A lot of people publish newsletters that way. And in fact, I started publishing my seven takeaways weekly newsletter on Substack. 
Um, but there's that, there, Medium, medium.com, uh, another publishing platform has their own uh, Mastodon instance, uh, me.dm. Uh, so Mastodon itself, there's you know multiple different ways to get yourself on Mastodon. Um, <laughs> kind of cracks me up, but Parler uh, is no more. Um, that one died uh, just last week, I think it was. Um, and of course, there are other, you know, many, many other social uh, uh, Twitter equivalent-ish uh, platforms. Honestly, I don't know which one to use. I keep waiting for one of them, any of them, mm. to achieve the critical mass that Twitter ultimately had. Um, I think one of the, I'm hoping that a lot more institutions will follow NPR's lead. Um, NPR, as we know, on Twitter got got labeled as state funded, which of course right. only a tiny percentage of. Um, and then it was, I forget, they changed the label, so they took the funding away. But it still implies that it's a mm. you know a, a, a puppet organization of the U.S. government, which in no way um, is anywhere close to the truth. But apparently, mm. you know, when it comes to these kinds of things, truth is kind of optional. Mm. The and I'm hoping more news organizations will will. If they're not going to leave Twitter, at least establish presences somewhere else, right. because I want to find out what that somewhere else is going to be so that I know which one that I want to take the time to invest in. Um, I want to go where people go. I want to, I want to you know, be able to, to get my, my news notifications that I've been getting off of Twitter, off of some of these, any of these other platforms. They're not there yet. Um, and I, I do fear for Twitter's you know, long-term health. To put it blindly, um, bluntly, um, I'm or blindly. The um, I'm kind of surprised it's still up and running, but nonetheless, I suspect that, especially given everything that's been happening to it, it's it's days of being truly mainstream or numbered. And I want to find out what's next. You have any thoughts? Well, I mean, uh, I thought you were going to mention Blue Sky also, which I have I'm not on. It's just like. I've heard of Blue right Sky. Now. There's post.news, yeah. I think. It I mean, is. the thing there's, that the thing that Blue Sky's got going for it that makes it interesting is it's Jack Dorsey, one of the founders of Twitter. Right. So it's like it has some credibility. It's not just anybody starting something up. It's Jack Dorsey starting something up to compete. Um, and also, as the name implies, he wants to make it a happy place, I believe. Uh, that's why it's called Blue Sky. Um, he wants to. Uh, to find some way to get rid of all the negativity or the right. false negativity uh, that, you know, echo chambers and stuff uh, create. So, I mean, there's that. I, I When you were talking about, you know, the reaching the critical mass of, of, you know, Twitter, I don't know if any of these ever will, but at the same time, I think Twitter is getting close to losing its critical mass. Right. I agree. So we're, we might be in a situation where Twitter loses it. So nothing has critical mass and then nothing ever does again, uh, which I think would actually be fine. Um, like I, you know, I, I'm as not, long as, yeah, why not? Uh, so I want news organizations to congregate somewhere because honestly, yeah. when there's something going on, Twitter traditionally has been the place to get the, fastest information, not necessarily always the most accurate, which indeed is a problem, but um, it was pretty clear. And this is not just the national level. It's like the local level, right? Um, uh, city of Seattle, uh, the Washington uh, Department of Transportation, uh, even the city of Woodenville, they all have Twitter accounts. And if there's something going on, then that's where they'll post what's going on. Yeah, but they so can it was a post nice at their own website. I mean, or but they that, want... the difference, the difference is you now yeah. have to know to go look at sure. all these different websites. Good. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's the way it should be. Or, or maybe it should be that, you know, that this one has a Mastodon you know, account at this place. And this one is on Twitter and this one's at whatever it has a medium thing. I mean, maybe it's maybe not having it all in one place. Um, I don't know. Which is I kinda, the I, way I like it used to be. <laughs> I know, but that doesn't necessarily mean the way it used to be was the the, the best yeah. or the most efficient way to do it. Right now, honestly, Facebook comes the closest, right? And I know yeah. that that a lot of people aren't dealing with Facebook for, for a variety of reasons, but 
um, it's probably the next most populous place uh, for the kinds of information that I keep uh, that I'm interested in hearing I, about. I guess I, I, I think um, I don't know. I think it might be interesting not to have Twitter again. <laughs> and maybe it just not to be there. I mean, right. uh, I don't think I don't think it'll be that. I think there, there's some advantages, like you said, there's some advantages, but there's disadvantages, too. And I think we'll be fine either way. And maybe in the long run, it might be. I, I think the the best way for it to happen will happen, whether that is to have a replacement for Twitter or for Twitter to have a resurgence or something, right. or for there not to just not to be a Twitter. Maybe it'll be an aggregate kind of thing. I mean, if there are there is you know there are Mastodon servers and there is Blue Sky and there's these and there's people have Substack and uh, Medium and all of this stuff. I mean, maybe there's a way that you can have an aggregate, an aggregator, right? You know, which is what we had before, right? You had all these different news websites that all were their own websites, but then they all agreed on the RSS standard and right. then you can have an RSS aggregator. And to some extent, we still have that. We do. Um, but the, you know, so the idea being that maybe that'll happen, maybe there'll be not a thousand different places where you can go, but maybe there'll be seven different places you can go. And if you really wanted to follow all your local news and aggregate them all from these different sources, there's a way to do it. Mm. So I don't know. It'll be interesting uh, to see how things shake out. I'm just, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking around. I've, I've got accounts on most of these things and mm -hmm. they're, they're there's all interesting, but they're all like slices of interesting, if that makes any sense. Right. Nobody's yeah. got the whole pie. Um, and and they're all different in some interesting ways. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I miss the I miss the community, but I never had that from Twitter. Uh, even though I was on Twitter as early as you, and probably way earlier than most people, mm -hmm. um, I never really felt that there was some sort of Twitter community. Like I right. felt like there were and other things, but other people did have that with Twitter. Yes, uh, in the early days, particularly. Um, I would love to have that again. Uh, that would be my number one thing. The number one thing that I would want to jump onto that I feel I'm missing from the internet is uh, the early days feeling of community. You know, somebody round up a hundred people like me or hundred was 150 is the magic number or whatever, 150 people like me and not like me and put us in some sort of thing together and make that a community I can be a part of. And I would enjoy that, but uh, I don't know. It the just closest thing I, I've encountered to that recently um, is a Discord server, of all things, um, of folks that are um, supporters slash followers of Cybabe. Have you heard of Cybabe? Yeah. Oh, yeah, she, sure. Um, yeah. So she's got a Discord. Um, and of course, there's a room in the Discord for you know folks who are paying patrons as well. But um, that's developed into a really, really nice community of, of people that are just having a good time. They all speak the same language. We're all having a good time talking about things and so forth. Well, yeah. Um, that, I mean, I've kind of got that with my MacMost Patreon is a place, I guess, the closest thing I've got to that right now. Cool. It, it, it is. It's just that it's weird because I guess what I'm <laughs> what, what I idealize is I'm a member of a community. And there I'm kind of the leader of the community. Right, right. So it's like slight difference, but and community's hard. I mean, I've yeah. I'm on, you know, multiple discords for various things. And this is really the only one that truly feels comfortable to me and, and meets the criteria that you were describing. Mm. Um, but um it's uh it is and I've tried, I've you know, I had my own Discord for a while. Um, yeah. And it basically withered for lack of participation. Your, when you say your community, what is what is the form that that takes? Is that your um, your forums? Yeah, so it would be there. So it's not a very I not it's not a very uh, like good platform for the community. So it's just basically I post stuff and then people comment on that stuff. Right. And it's, a lot of times it's the same people commenting and sure people you know. And so it's not a great platform. Patreon does actually hook into Discord. I could actually easily set up a MacMost Discord, hook that into Patreon, mm -hmm. and then have a better platform. The only problem is that very few of the people that are in my current Patreon community mm -hmm. use Discord. Right. Yep. So I've, it probably wouldn't I've, work. I've done that poll myself in the past where I've actually polled my readers to find out what kinds of things they're using. Um, and you know, things like Discord, Slack is another one that's used for this kind of thing. Um, 
there are multiple ones. No, they're they're all not doing that. <laughs> For the I mean, there obviously there are always a few, right? Mm -hmm. But in terms of of being a critical, once again, a critical mass to make it actually gel as a community, um, the numbers just aren't there. Anyway, mm. yeah. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I talked about uh, virtual machines and how enamored I am with the virtual machines. Uh, and how I use them in different ways. And I came up with a very bizarre way of using them. Once again, we're, we're trying to solve a problem. It's not necessarily that distinct in, in, in feel, I guess, from the internet problem that we've been talking about. Uh, my desktop machine is a 16-core um, a AMD something or other with 64 gigabytes of RAM. And I think I've got three or four terabytes of SSD as primary drives, that kind of stuff. In other words, it's a beefy machine, right? It's It's got some oomph to it. And that's on purpose. It's a couple of years old already, but that's on purpose because I do video editing and that kind of stuff. Um, and one of my frustrations with it is that probably like you, after I reboot a machine, I start running things. And I run a few more things. And I run a few more things. And I run a few more things. Notice I'm not closing things, right? They're just, mm -hmm. they're still around because I'll switch back to them or whatever. Um, and I was in a situation where after a while, where a while has really no definition, the machine would get super, super pokey, as in it would take, take, you'd see the mouse, not, the mouse pointer would be lagging, just moving the mouse across the screen. Um, which was very frustrating for a machine, like I said, of, of this caliber. And I, uh, I was looking at, you know, okay, is anybody using the CPU? Nope. Is somebody pounding the disk? Nope. Is somebody pounding the network? Nope. Is somebody pounding, you know, all of the usual suspects were, um, were not necessarily involved. Um, so basically the experiment that I've been running for about a week is I'm tempted to call it geofencing. What I've done is I've set up a virtual machine with Windows 11, and it is the machine that I essentially live in. So it's got my browsers, it's got my editor, it's got you know all the stuff that I work on, the Discord, the Slack, all those things that I'm that I'm basically playing with throughout the day. I have, in setting up that virtual machine, uh, restricted it to not using all of my machines. Uh, uh, capability. So it's restricted to 12 gigabytes of RAM, not the full 64. Um, I think it's only using four processors out of the 16. Um, but when you think about it, the kinds of things that we spend most of our time doing just don't require that horsepower, right? Um, the, so basically, I've got this nice little box that contains all of these, these messy apps. My theory being that um, and this is especially true for browsers, um, they will use all of the available memory plus 10%. Um, regardless of what you're doing, they'll just say, oh, look at all this RAM. I'll just make a cache over here, or I won't bother dealing with it this way. I'll deal with it that way. My, that's my theory, right? And that even though the system should be responsive, as that style of memory usage is um, is deployed, the reality is that when there are so many different apps doing that kind of thing in so many different ways, um, the net result is basically a mess. So I have basically contained my mess. So what that means is then that when it comes time for me to do something that is uh, potentially resource intensive, like video editing, or in my case also Photoshop, which for various reasons tends to be a bit of a hog, um, I do it outside of the virtual machine on the host machine. Mm -hmm. And so far, like I said, it's only been a week, but so far, uh, the results have been very, very promising. There are uh, a couple of issues that I've come across with the virtual machine. I have to reposition all my windows when I bring it back up because it basically says, oh, I'm not maximized anymore. In that case, I'm 1920 by 1080 and you can't do a thing about it. Mm -hmm. Once we're maximized, we're back to 3840 by whatever the heck it is. So I had to actually come up with a tool that would restore all of the windows I care about into the places I wanted them to be. Those kinds of those kinds of issues. Right. Um, but outside of that, um, 
it's been a very, very interesting experiment and actually has turned out to be very, very well. Now, to be clear, there are some things that aren't necessarily resource intensive, but that I don't want to be running through the virtual machine, specifically things like media, like audio, for example, Zoom. As we do this podcast, I am recording um, on the host machine, not in the virtual machine, mm -hmm. uh, just because that, that hop that the audio path takes from host to virtual um, is at times less than efficient. And I can certainly hear it on playback. If I'm playing back something within the virtual machine, it'll sound a little bit broken up, but if I'm playing it back directly, it'll be fine. So I just want to avoid those kind of problems as I do this. But I just thought that was another interesting scenario, another experiment, another, another, you know, here's an interesting tool to try and solve a problem. And like I said, I just sort of tried to contain the mess and keep the outside kind of clean. And it seems to be working well. Cool. Yeah, it definitely seems like a, a good solution for that. The other thing that's neat is that if I ever change machines, in theory, I can mm -hmm. pick up the virtual machine and drop it somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. In theory. I hope not okay. to test that theory for some time, though. <laughs> cool. So, juice. Uh, juice yeah, me. So, well, one last thing I, okay. I, I wanted to bring up before the end here, because it's kind of timely is yeah we have some space news uh really cool new mission uh, was launched this week by the european space agency uh it's it's a mission to jupiter and uh it's cool in a whole number of ways uh one of the things is first of all it launched uh from where did it launch from south america i believe uh I yeah. yeah and so not you know really i it doesn't seem like much uh, u.s involvement in this uh, European Space Agency thing, mm -hmm. which is really cool. It it's going to go to Jupiter, and it's basically going to uh, observe the three large ice moons of Jupiter, mm -hmm. um, and that's really cool. Uh, it will get it. The un, one of the uncool things about it is going to take like what eight years or something to get to Jupiter, so it's going to be a long time before we hear much more about it. But once it gets there. It's going to do a series of flybys of these three moons, and then it will enter orbit for several years around Ganymede. So Ganymede's a big moon of Jupiter. It's really interesting. And we're going to have this uh, satellite orbiting it, taking pictures of, you know, on all different different spectrums and, and observing Ganymede for a long time. It's not like the typical, you know, something flies by grabs a bunch of data and sends it back to us. And by the time the data even gets back to us, it's long past where it right. was, right? right? This is like, it's going to be an orbit around Ganymede. We're going to, there's going to be several, in the next decade, there's going to be several years where we have something in orbit around Ganymede that's going to be sending back pictures all the time. That's going to be super cool. And I love it. And it's uh, a lot of cool tech goes into it because Jupiter has a ton of radiation and a massive magnetic field and all sorts of stuff going on around it um it's not an easy thing like you know when we send something to go around mercury or venus or or even mars it's pretty quiet place um jupiter's not a quiet place mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. got to be heavily shielded there's all sorts of hazards and things like that uh, in jupiter so that is really cool uh one of the things i think is amazing is the way it's going to get to jupiter is largely through a huge number of gravity assists so gravity assists are the thing that for some reason, when you tell somebody who doesn't know much about space, that it's, well, it's like a slingshot around a planet. Right. People get it. Right. It's not a very accurate description of what it is, but it, in when you say a gravity slingshot around a planet, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. But that's not how a slingshot even works. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but people, you know, you get it that the fact that it swings by a planet and because right. of the gravitational pull of that planet, it gets it going faster. This is actually going to spend a lot of time not too far from us. As a matter of fact, several it's going to slingshot past, uh, get out of Earth's uh, orbit. It's going to go past Venus at one point. It's going to go past Earth again. And it's going to go past Earth like a third time, which is weird. So several years into this, it's basically going to pass right by us again. It'll virtually have made no progress right, except right. speed. Right? Getting up speed, right? That last time it passes us, it's going to be passing us at a speed we couldn't have hoped to actually send this thing, you know, directly from Earth, right. and it will gain even more speed, and then go all the way to Jupiter, and then it's got to do a ton of slingshots around Jupiter, 
and the moons in order to slow down. Right. Because it's going so fast by the time it gets to Jupiter, it basically has to allow itself to get captured by Jupiter and then captured by this moon and then that moon. And sometimes it's doing observations of those moons as it's doing the slingshot around them. And eventually we'll end up in a bad orbit around Ganymede, which will eventually get better and better until it's in this nice stable orbit around Ganymede. 25 I, slingshots to do I, that. I got to believe that the orbital mechanics of having a stable orbital orbit around Ganymede um, has got to be incredibly challenged, even in the best of circumstances, because when you think about it, mm -hmm. um, it's orbiting a moon, which means yeah. it is also, that orbit is also being perturbed by um, the gravity of Jupiter yeah. and the gravity of all those other moons that yeah. are floating around at the same time. I don't know how you how you come up with a stable orbit in that in that situation. Right, and these moons are big moons of I yeah. mean, you know Jupiter and stuff. So yeah, you I mean... One of the one of the ways that it's possible, really, is that this thing has an incredible amount of fuel on it. It's not one of these deals where it's like we send it up there. It's basically out of fuel. And at the end, it needs to use up that last bit of fuel just to get it in the right position. This is actually is going to be using its fuel all throughout to correct itself. So because I think I don't think it's possible, maybe with what we have now to do like, okay, it's on its way 25 slingshots later, and we're fine. No, right. I think after every one, they're going to be looking at it carefully, making adjustments, getting it lined up for the next one. Right. And, and that's, you know, so it'll be a, a constant uh, amount of work for the people in control of it, but it's going to be a, an incredible mission. Um, uh, and I've always loved, uh, you know, Jupiter, my interest in astronomy, I've always loved Jupiter's, you know, the interesting stuff that goes on around. It's mm -hmm. like its own solar system itself. Right, right. You know, there and uh, and having something that is observing these incredible moons, which are probably more interesting than most of our planets. <laughs> I mean, you know. Right. We're One of the, you do hear from time to time that, you know, people do comment that um, there is a, I wouldn't call it a high probability, but a mm -hmm. relatively comparatively higher probability of there potentially being a life on one of those moons. Yeah, there's a lot of different things going on. I mean, yep. we know a lot about Mars. We have our own moon. We know a lot about Venus. There's, you know, a lot of the moons around Jupiter are more interesting, really. Yes. There's more going on. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, I wanted to mention that. It's really cool stuff. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I'll link to the Wikipedia page. And, you know, it's I think it's got uh, more than a terabyte of storage uh, the computers on this thing and it can send back not that much i think it's like two gigs a day of data it's a long way to send data right yes, through an yes. antenna um i mean certainly beats satellites from past decades by a lot and then of course having a lot of time on its hands i was going to say with all this back. time you can send a lot of data at two gigabits oh, um, sure. over the course of you know, however many six, eight, ten years this is going to be. So. Yeah, and once it enters <laughs> orbit on Ganymede, it actually is going to end its. I don't know if there's something planned, but the end of the mission, when it's just about to be out of fuel, they're actually going to deorbit it into Ganymede. Interesting. I don't know if it's sometimes they collect data in in that process on the way down. I don't know yeah. if uh, if that's going to be the thing, but eventually we'll we'll kind of land something on Ganymede. It would be crashing, but yeah, it counts. <laughs> you know <laughs> it's a really hard landing yeah anyway uh, let's see so what's been cool this week so i have mixed feelings about this one hmm. it's cool but it's also very strange yeah. and it's not for everybody have you seen it beef no i know what you're talking about i've seen the ads and i, I it, but it, i have not watched it basically is the story of two people random people who happen to encounter one another with serious, serious anger management issues. Um, so they get into a beef, hence the title. Um, it is, on one hand, really bizarre. You kind of wondered they're making a story out of this. But the longer you get in, it's one of those things where, you know, the first episode you're thinking, well, we'll give it a second. Second episode, you're saying, well, we'll give it a third. Mm -hmm. By the third episode, you need to figure out, you need to see how it ends, right? So you're in, you're in it for the duration, which I think is eight episodes. Mm -hmm. um, I ultimately enjoyed it. Uh, my wife, not quite so much. 
but it's definitely something that I would call very, very different. Um, it stars um, um, Stephen Yun from mm. Walking Dead fame mm. and Ali Wong, who um, I thought of her more as a stand-up comic, but I think yeah. she's done a whole lot more. Right. Um, and uh, they certainly both have uh, some incredible range that you may not have seen in other scenario in other places. So anyway, that's on Netflix. It's 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 cool, but it's different. Yeah, I've got a not cool and a cool or not cool and a sort of cool. <laughs> uh, I did watch that movie, Megan. Right. You probably oh, heard of that. That's I the, certainly have. Yes. Yeah. And it. I, I. yeah, I mean, it's it's basically it'll be scared of the A.I. kind of thing. Right. It could have been made the same way, like 10, 15 years ago. Uh, there was really nothing about any modern AI stuff going on in this, um, uh, you know, and it goes completely in a predictable way. And it, it, the AI almost, it almost seems like the first third of the movie, they're trying to like make it realistic what the AI can do. Mm -hmm. And then they just, the script writer gives up and says, ah, we'll just make <laughs> it go crazy and do all this stuff. That's just not really possible. The funny thing is watching it. Uh, the wife actually paused it and said so is this possible so that at this point like there's a right. you know a sure. four foot high child robot killing people and or, or not so much killing people but actually acting and talking and doing stuff right and i said well there's two things that make this impossible when they made this movie probably last year one would be uh, the artificial intelligence isn't there to actually have something respond in this way. The other would be that there's no battery source <laughs> to have an autonomous small little robot walk around and do all these things. Right. It would have to be plugged into the wall or it would be limited to like 10 minutes and then right. put it on the charger for four hours. Um, I said, that's when they made this probably last year. Today, only one of those things is impossible <laughs> because at that point, just having this robot respond to what people are saying was more or less chat gpt you know right uh, we went this long in the podcast without talking about it uh but <laughs> but basically i was like yeah you know that's that's totally realistic now that it could actually communicate with a child like that a child could sit down with chat gpt and may or may not have a similar kind of conversation but right. the battery stuff is still out. Anyway, so I thought I'd mention that. The the actual cooler thing is there's a show on Apple TV Plus called Hello Tomorrow that um, is a, it's just a it's eight or ten episodes. I forget. I'm in the middle of it somewhere. And uh, so far, the story isn't that interesting, which is a disappointing thing. But what is interesting from a tech standpoint is it takes place in a retro futuristic world. So it the feel of the 1950s. Mm hmm but with Jetson's kind of style to it. Interesting. So all the cars are hover cars. All of, there's a little autonomous robots that walk around. Um, there are autonomous delivery vehicles. There's uh, video phones that have, you know, picture tube TVs with, and they're black and white. Right. <laughs> but you're, they're video phones. It is filled with that. The entire world is filled with technology that's retro futuristic. So while the story isn't that interesting, it is interesting to look at the style of what's there. I imagine a huge amount of it is just CGI. And the course. actors are almost completely acting on green screen here. But it is funny to see the little cute gadgets and devices and the people interacting with them. Um, they have holograms that they make a big deal about the fact they have smell. I don't know. <laughs> Lots of stuff like that. But that could but, go either way. <laughs> and they have they have computers. So they have all this cool stuff, but they have computers. Like in one scene, they have a computer and the guy takes a punch card and feeds it into the computer to go. get the answer to a question. So it's like they have computers that actually are kind of artificially intelligent, but you still have to communicate by putting a punch card in. It's a really neat, just weird technology world. And it's worth watching if you like tech, just Did to you... see those little things. Did you ever see, uh, was it Tomorrowland? The... Yeah, it's it's way campier than that. As far ah, as, okay. not, not the story. The story is serious. Right. But the actual technology, you know, that's trying to be almost, uh, oh, I've heard, I've heard it a term for this actually this week, solar punk, right? So we had steampunk. <laughs> I have not heard of that. Yeah, yeah so that's kind of cool. Steampunk is the old, like, you know, steampunk, it's steam technology. Victorian area, yep. Solar punk is kind of like 
you know, more modern, it's like we have futuristic technologies we don't have now, but run on electricity. Interesting. Instead of steam. So anyway, it's kind of neat. If you like that kind of thing, if you ever look at posters that have cool like 50s retro robots and mm -hmm. stuff like that, and you're like, oh, that's cool. Then this is like a whole TV show where every scene is kind of like designed like that. Well, when 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 we reach critical mass, I'm in that in that position right now where we're saving up things to watch on Apple Plus. Yeah. Um, when I reach critical mass and reactivate my subscription, I'll make sure to uh, to check it out. Yep. Cool. In the self promotion department, um, I speaking of AI, I did an article a couple of weeks ago called "Is AI Taking Over the World?" It's askleo.com slash one five four eight one three, and there's a as you kind of alluded to, and as we've said before, there's a lot of, of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt uh, about AI and how it can be used. And is it going to turn into, you know, turn our turn our dolls into vicious murdering robots? Mm. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but there's there are there's a more pragmatic um, way of thinking about it that I think um, is important. People at least consider because there's a lot of while there's a lot of there's certainly a lot of risk with the progress we're making, that's been true for all of the progress we're making. And the 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 potential for benefits out of this technology is just amazing. So that's, is AI taking over the world? Cool. Um, I'll point to a video called uh, 10 Reasons You Should Be Using AirDrop to Transfer Files. AirDrop's a cool technology. Does Windows have anything like AirDrop? They have tried, but the short answer is yeah. no, no. At really. this point, AirDrop is, I think 15 years old. Like yeah. I think the earliest devices were 2008, maybe not 15, maybe it was when it was introduced, it could work on devices that started in 2008, but it's more than a decade old. And it's such a cool technology between iPhones, iPads, and Macs, um, not just because it doesn't require any setup, but because since it's doing Wi-Fi point to point, it's fast. Right. It's as fast, if not faster than any other way you could possibly transfer file as long as you're not wired, right? Because it's using Wi-Fi. Well, even so, then, you're you're so close that it can, given the current Wi-Fi specs, yeah. it can actually be pretty darn close that's, to wired speeds. Yeah, that's true. So I still, every once in a while, get pushback from somebody that's like, "Oh, I haven't really played with AirDrop, or I haven't I haven't used AirDrop for file transfer. Maybe I should try that." I'm like, "Why aren't you doing AirDrop? <laughs> it's like it's one of the best parts of the whole Apple ecosystem." So I did a video on on that, and I'll point to that. Cool. Very cool. Well, that pretty much does us, I think, for yet another week. The show notes are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh189. If you've got a comment or a question, you can leave us a comment there and we will absolutely see it and uh, maybe even respond. Thanks as always for listening and we will see you here again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.